Hello, everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I'm thrilled that you found me. There is power in the name of Jesus. As we journey together, we will unleash discoveries of how to turn a heart of stone into one of moldable clay for the potter to transform. I hope you'll join me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. Periodically, we'll delve into my mailbag and answer questions from listeners just like you. If you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. And today we're going to actually read directly from a chapter out of my book. It's called Deliverance. That's the chapter. And the actual book is The Grace and Peace of God, Love Wins. And the chief aim of that book is to assist people who are searching for a deeper, more intimate relationship with Christ. This book focuses on the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor. And other supporting elements include forgiveness, humility, faith, Holy Spirit, prayer, and judgment versus discernment. And today, like never before in the past, man is searching for meaning in his life. So folks, let's jump in now. And this is uh, deliverance. The day the asteroid hit my happy little planet, I learned there comes a day when we realize that turning the page is the best feeling in the world, realizing there's so much more to the book of redemption than the page that we're stuck on. Christ destroyed death and whom who had power over death upon his crucifixion and resurrection. A weapon which is more powerful than the enemies rendered theirs worthless. And Satan used the weapon of death, but God destroyed this weapon with eternal life. And Jesus taught the Corinthians to look within themselves by examining if they were holding a grudge against another. His calling was for unity among the brethren. If they were unified, he called them forth for the institution of the Lord's Supper. They took the elements of the bread and cup for remembrance of Christ. This was a time for reflection upon what Christ did for all and yet anticipation of what was yet to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 says, On the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. By our active participation in the Lord's Supper, Christ is magnified within our bodies. We do not have to be in a group of believers to share in the Lord's Supper, but we do need an examined heart, 
free of any trespasses or sin against ourselves or another. And if we take the Lord's Supper in an unworthily manner, then we eat and drink the body and blood of Christ in judgment to ourselves. So it is imperative that we go through that cleansing process first. And Christ says, for this reason, many are sick, weak, and many fall asleep, meaning death. Talk with God in prayer and recite the institution of the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Matthew chapter 26, or it's also notated in the Bible in Luke chapter 22. And once we've determined we have no more sins to confess, it's better to be corrected by the Lord than the world. The Lord's Supper may be done as often as one wishes. There's no limit in spending time with Christ and deepening your intimacy with Him. Communion is one way that we show our gratitude to Christ in remembrance of His grace. We're showered in love when we do this. Let's start with our neighbor who may just be living in our same home. From here, we can work outward. The book of John, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26 say, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. God actively desires our companionship. He says, be still and know I am God. Our salvation and redemption aren't about what we do. It's about what Jesus did for us at the cross of Calvary. By confessing Jesus with our mouth and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we are saved. For with our heart, we believe unto righteousness, which is God's acceptance and approval. And with our mouths, confession is made unto salvation. When we engage in the Lord's Supper or communion, it's a way for believers to place themselves alongside Christ at Calvary and then to place themselves in the future at His return and finally internally examining the condition of our hearts. When God looks at our planet, He does so through the eyes of love, no fear, and we are no different than He. At creation, God knew no fear, only perfect love. Man is solely responsible for heeding Satan's fear-based lies. Paul knew that communion was not a one-time event for the people at Corinth. The Lord's Supper was meant to be an ongoing remembrance of the sacrifice at the cross of Calvary. The Gospel of Mark compares the language used at the feeding of the multitudes to the Lord's Supper. God's compassion wasn't dependent upon circumstances to fulfill, and 12 baskets were left over after the feeding of the 5,000 people, and it was closer to 20,000 people when women and children were counted for. And this was significant as the reference was to the 12 tribes of Israel, one basket for each tribe. An involvement to any degree in religious error can open the door for demons and a need for deliverance as follows. One, false religions, Eastern pagan philosophies and mind sciences, or secondly, Christian cults, which are bloodless religions, having a form of godliness, but denying all power of Christ from Calvary. 
Second Timothy chapter three, verse five says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power and from such people turn away. Thirdly, occult and spiritism. Any method is seeking supernatural knowledge, wisdom, guidance, and power apart from God is strictly forbidden. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 9 through 15 go more into detail about that. And number four, false doctrine. A great increase of doctrinal errors will be promoted by receiving by deceiving, excuse me, and seducing spirits in the last days. First Timothy chapter four, verse one, the great apostasy, which means rejection. So warning signals for possible need for deliverance. Characteristics noted below deserve a closer look when they're pronounced, persistent, or recurrent over a period of time or progressive, tending to become more rather than less extreme. These behaviors may be a call for help. And the deliverance characteristics are confusion or disordered thinking, loss of touch with reality, delusions, hallucinations, disconnected speech, obsessions, or an absorption with an idea or subject to the exclusion of others, almost like a compulsion or uncontrollable urge, an inability to cope with minor problems within a daily routine, And then fourthly, difficulty in making or keeping friends, poor social skills and isolation, withdrawal from society. A pattern of failure across the board at school, at work, in sports, prolonged or severe depression, immaturity, a series of physical ailments that fail to respond to treatment, neglect of personal hygiene or exaggerated concern for order and for cleanliness, Difficulty adjusting to new people and new places, undue anxiety and worry phobias, feelings of being persecuted, and too much or too little sleep. Now, here's a story about Howard Pittman. He had died and he went to heaven and God sent him back to be an evangelist. And when he died, he saw 50 people pass through the tunnel after he had gone on to heaven. And an angel told him that 1,950 went to hell. God told him that 25% of the people in the church are going to go to heaven, 75% are going to hell. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's very serious. The only way for deliverance to spread around the world is for many Christians to begin to practice deliverance. And you can help others as you grow stronger. You can deliver yourself, your family, and even some church members. God told us to train an army for his use. You are part of that army. Any Christian can cast out demons. There's nothing mysterious about deliverance. You don't have to be a trained exorcist. In in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Deliverance is a way of life. It's not a grand event. Every Christian is a minister, has ministry, and has gifts given by the Holy Spirit. The bottom line of deliverance is the casting out of demons. Parents are the best people to minister to their children, husband to wife, wife to husband, and parents need to set the children free from demons and to protect their children. 
The Bible says more about hell than heaven so that you can overcome Satan and make it to heaven. The purpose of deliverance is to bring honor to God's name. And we overcome Satan today by three ways. First, by God's provision, the blood of the lamb. Secondly, by our testimony, not just words, but our lives. And thirdly, not loving our lives to the death. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So seven ways to determine the need for deliverance discernment and detection. The presence and nature of evil spirits can be known by two principal methods. First, discernment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 10 notes, discerning of spirits is one of nine supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, detection. The second method of knowing the presence and nature of evil spirits. Detection is simply observing what spirits are doing to a person. And common symptoms are disturbances in the emotions which persist or recur, disturbances in the mind or thought life, outburst or uncontrolled use of the tongue, recurring unclean thoughts and acts regarding sex, addictions to nicotine, alcohol, drugs, medicines, caffeine, food, etc., and many disease and physical afflictions are due to spirits of infirmity. Luke chapter 13 verse 11 says, And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. The book of Joshua tells us multiple times, Be strong and of good courage. God made the sun to stand still for Joshua. What will he do for you and me? Psalm chapter 7 verse 10 says, My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. In Psalm 27 verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And finally, Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And finally, Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 20, And I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall, and they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you to save you and to deliver you, says the Lord. A wise Christian will surround themselves with reminders of God's goodness as a way to move beyond the past. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, we learn, Yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And the book of Hebrews tells a tale of two mountains. Personally, this is relatable, as I had my own mountain I was struggling with mightily. Each morning I would tackle it afresh by running the trails until one day God said it was time to get off the mountain. And the book of Hebrews was written to first century Christians who were ready to give up. These people were the designated descendants of the patriarchs of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. We're talking Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This group of people were seriously contemplating returning to their ancestors' ways. The author of Hebrews may have been the Apostle Paul, but no one is completely sure. But the author compares and contrasts God's two covenants. The old covenant was all about living under the Judaic law. 
Mount Sinai is where the law was given. The new covenant stands for a grace-filled life, which is represented by Mount Zion that was built on a hill in Jerusalem. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 28, we learn, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic." For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, for Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. The Judaizers claimed to be of Isaac, the free woman, the Jews, and the promise of God, when in reality they were born of Ishmael, the bondservants, mothers, according to the flesh. These Jewish legalists symbolically represent Ishmael in the flesh, the Arabs. Ishmael hated Isaac. The law represented bondage, and Mount Sinai is the origination of the law. The earthly Jerusalem is called home for many who are still in bondage. The heavenly Jerusalem is where we experience freedom. God commanded Abraham to be rid of Hagar as mercy and the law cannot coexist. One's salvation is 100% faith-based and 0% law. God still cared for Hagar. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness on her way to Shur. And David made his stately residence in Zion. Upon arriving, David had 30,000 Israeli men with him, gathering up the Ark of the Covenant, which held the tablets of stone that contained the law. They traveled from Baal, Judah, to Mount Zion. The Ark previously had fallen into the hands of the Philistines under Saul's reign. The Philistines soon found out wherever the sacred box traveled, disaster followed. The Ark of Gods, whose name is called by the name the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim, would be restored to its rightful place. Zion would become the dwelling place of God. His throne was in heaven. This is God's city where his first church began in a tabernacle. Mount Sinai made distance between God and his people an imperative. All of the people in Moses' camp trembled when Moses went up the mountain to meet before a holy God. In contrast, Mount Zion is the city of the living God. People can be truly joyful here. A company of angels worshiping God presides at Mount Zion. Here, Christians may join them and worship together. And God wants man to know about his divine mercy and grace. Deliverance comes from God and was communicated to man through his son, Jesus. He preached in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth. And there are times we need to be delivered from our own selves. We can be our own worst enemy or our own best friend. When we formulate unnecessary opinions, we rapidly see a sharp decline in our cognitive abilities. 
Basketball, being a favorite pastime in many countries, has its share of press. The USA has been blessed with some of the all-time greatest athletes and coaches ever seen. Looking at college basketball coach John Wooden, he's legendary in his respective field. What made him so great? Talented athletes? Arguably, it had to have been more than that. Many colleges have talented athletes. He didn't recruit basketball players on solely the merit of playing basketball. He cared deeper about his players. Wooden was interested in the fundamentals of the human being. He knew his athletes wouldn't be student athletes forever. There would come a time for life after basketball. His training program focused on being the best one could be. It was imperative to think right thoughts, always being mindful. He stressed life skill development, key decision making, inspiring players to dream the impossible dream, and finally how to attain peak state performance both on and off the court. Why was his coaching standard superior to others? He had a life print, which he held himself to. In other words, a standard he set for himself and others. Determined not to look back at failures or successes. It's about what you're doing in the present. The stories told of his dad giving him an advice list upon graduating from high school, which included read good books, especially the Bible. More delivered from the past, we're free to move forward into the present, creating the future within the framework of the will of God. Your calling matters, not it is all for our creator. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. And folks, if you if you found today that you want to be a child of the Most High God, then simply repeat after me. Father God, I repent of my sins. I believe in the finished work at the cross of Calvary that Jesus took on past, present, and future sins. Amen. Let me be the first to congratulate you and tell you God bless you. That is the best decision that you have ever made. The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special Kid Talk podcast will air on Wednesdays, so tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you grew up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus' unlimited power in our present-day lives as we delve into many topics such as forgiveness, how to be joyful, and what love in action looks like, and many more. I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on a podcast of adventure and exploration of life together, and occasionally we'll have some co-hosts join us as well. So I hope that you'll join us, and if you like the podcast, make sure and like and subscribe so you'll get the latest episodes when they become available. And now I just want to pray Aaron's priestly benediction over you as you go out into the world. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Until next time, friends, be blessed.